Christian friends, as we have progressed our way through this Christian worldview series on what would Jesus say, at the start of each message, I have launched out into the world at large to try to find some sort of research or some kind of data, some kind of statistic, or some kind of a true story that would help bring the topic at hand just a little closer to home. And I've sought to do that now over three Sundays as we have talked about developing a Christian worldview on the topics of guns and wars and gambling. But friends, for this morning's topic of immigration, this is one topic where I didn't have to go far at all. Because not that long ago, friends, our very own city of Hazleton, Pennsylvania, was literally ground zero for the immigration debate. As many of you will remember, family, back in 2006, the mayor of our city, Lou Barletta, in cooperation with the city council of Hazleton, passed a controversial city ordinance that was entitled the Illegal Immigration Relief Act. Now, leading up to the passing of this controversial city ordinance, Mr. Barletta was dealing with a city that had experienced an exponential increase in crime, in drugs, in gang violence, and murders all of which put a tremendous burden on the city's police, the infrastructure, hospitals, as well as school systems. And with so many of the city's problems being traced back to illegal immigrants, Mr. Barletta and the city council passed this controversial three-part law. And it was the first of its kind in this country. Now, this new ordinance prohibited landlords from knowingly renting to an illegal immigrant. It also prohibited business owners from knowingly employing an illegal immigrant. And this ordinance made English the official language of the city and the official language of all city documents and all official legal paperwork. Well, of course, within a matter of days, Hazleton's new immigration ordinance created a massive national firestorm within the media, and instantly, it seemed, many news outlets, including NBC and CBS, CNN and Fox News, descended on our city to cover this growing story. Within a matter of weeks of the ordinance passing, many of you will remember the ACLU got involved, and they brought a lawsuit against the city because of that ordinance. Now, over the next few months, the case went all the way up to federal court, where it was ultimately overturned. The court ruled that the immigration issue and its enforcement is a federal issue. And because of that, they said, because it's a federal issue, Mr. Barletta and the city council overstepped their authority by passing an immigration ordinance. Now, following the loss of that case at the federal level, Two appeals were made up to the Supreme Court, asking the U.S. Supreme Court to take this case and to give it a review. But both times, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear this case, and the federal court's ruling was allowed to stand. Now, believers, regardless of your personal feelings on that very controversial court case, there's no denying that the subject 
of immigration is still one of the hottest debates raging in our nation today. Just listen to the conversations that are going on around you. And family, generally speaking, again, generally speaking, there are two groups. There are two main groups who have taken up opposing sides, one against the other. Again, I'm speaking with the broadest of brushes here, in the broadest terms. On the one side, there are the rigid restrictionists. Okay, these are the people who want to see our immigration laws enforced. They want to see a strong border. They want to see illegal immigrants be arrested. They want to see them be deported. They're the ones who say illegal means illegal. On the other side, the opposing side, are those who we might call the openness proponents. These are people who believe that America ought to always be the land of opportunity. They believe that it should be a land that's open to all people who want to come. So their desire and their side is to believe in less enforcement. They would support a greater amnesty for any illegals who were already here, as well as their children. And of course, they would support a softer border, which allows more people to come more freely. Again, family, I'm painting with the broadest of brushes here. These are both very broad generalizations, but they do paint a picture for us of these two sides that are greatly entrenched in their views, and these views are vigorously opposed to one another. Family, this is not only a heated debate, I would also suggest to you that this is quite a complicated debate. In fact, friends, I would compare the immigration issue to a massive spider web. I mean, this is a spider web of the greatest size, not only for the way in which so many circles and lines are all interconnected, but I call this a spider web issue because of the way it is so sticky. Anywhere you touch it, it's gonna get sticky. You know, just this week, family, in my study, I was sitting there with a legal pad, and I thought, just for fun, I would jot down on this legal pad the 15 hottest key words that I keep hearing over and over again in the media in relationship to this issue of immigration. So I just started writing them down. As quickly as they would come to my mind, I would write them down. Do any of these words sound familiar to you? The wall, deportation, refugees, land of opportunity, Muslim ban, dreamers, separation of families, ICE, congressional legislation, Compassion, border security, amnesty, guest workers, immigration history, executive orders. Christian friend, would you just think for a moment about how many moving parts are just inside of those words I just spoke to you? All of that to say that immigration in America is an extremely complex issue. And friends, because of that, I am certainly not going to be able to cover everything that could be said about this topic in just one 40-minute message. So family, what I want to do today in an attempt to help us and to try to keep things simple, to keep things accessible for you and I as believers, what I would like to do now is to have us consider four biblical insights that I think Jesus would have us consider. 
four biblical insights that I think Jesus would likely point us to on this issue of immigration. Family, as we think through these four biblical insights, I'd like to present them to you today like a four-tiered cake. All right? I'd like to present this topic to you today, and I want you to think of it by using this analogy of a four-layered cake. Everyone understands what it means to eat a piece of a multi-layered cake. All of us know that analogy. We've all eaten a slice of a multi-tiered cake before with various layers assembled in the one piece. What I would like to suggest to you, believer, is that as a Christian, you should be very careful about entering into debates on immigration until you have first digested a piece of this cake that we're going to talk about today that has been assembled with biblical ingredients. So, what are the concepts that you and I need to digest before we wade into the discussion about immigration? What biblical truths would Jesus say are absolutely essential on this issue in the eyes of God? Well, family, today in our time together, I want us to talk about four layers of biblical insight. Four layers of biblical insight that will help us be able to discuss this topic from a Christian worldview. Here's the first one, number one. God wants us to submit to laws and governing authorities. Number one, God wants us to submit to laws and governing authorities. Now, Christians, as we inquire into immigration, as we look to the Bible to give us some guidance, without a doubt, one of the first biblical layers that must be put down is this truth that God wants people, God wants believers especially, to submit to the laws and to the governing authorities of our land. Now, friends, by way of reminder, I want us to consider two passages from God's Word that affirm this truth. One of those passages is from the Gospels, and the other one is from the Epistles. So take your Bible with me now, and let's have a look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 17 through 22. Matthew 22, verses 17 through 22. Now, here's a famous passage where the religious leaders of Israel were trying to entangle Jesus. They were trying to catch Jesus on one of the horns of this real-life dilemma. Look at Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bible. Matthew 22, verse 17. Tell us, therefore, Jesus, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Family, here's a very famous text where these religious elites 
are trying to entangle Jesus in perhaps the hottest controversy of their day, which was paying taxes to the Roman Empire. Well, what did Jesus say to that in his great wisdom? Jesus affirms that people should render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and they also ought to render to God the things that are God's. So, in other words, Jesus affirms that there are two legitimate yet separate realms. Two separate but legitimate spheres. On the one sphere you have obedience to human government and its rules, while at the same time there is this sphere in which we are to be obedient to God and to His rules. Now, let's go over to uh, just a few pages to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 13. This is another key text that we have to consider as part of our study today. Romans 13, verses 1 through 4. This is from the Apostle Paul's pen. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Christian friend, here's another key text, a foundational, fundamental text. We have to get straight from the beginning. The Bible teaches human governments have been put in place by God for what reason? To do people good. Government was not man's idea. We need to understand that. Government was not man's idea. It was God's. Government exists to keep sinful human beings from descending into chaos, wickedness, and anarchy. Sinful human beings need regulations. Sinful human beings need laws. Laws to restrain them from doing all of the wicked or hurtful or sinful things that they might do if there were no laws or authorities. So the Bible teaches us government exists. It was made by God, ordained by God, to punish wrongdoing, to promote what is good, and to protect the innocent. So government's job is to maintain an overall well-being for our human society. So as a general principle, when we look in God's Word, the Bible teaches we are supposed to submit we're supposed to submit to government and even the laws that government makes. Look in your notes, 1 Peter chapter 2, I gave you verse 13. Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So listen to me, Christians. Why, why does our government make us go through metal detectors before we fly to Disney on a commercial aircraft? Why does our government make us go through background checks before we work with children who are under age 18? 
Why does our government have checkpoints at all of our national borders with walls and barriers and fences and barbed wire being guarded by people with guns? Why do we even have immigration laws to begin with? Well, friends, the answer to those questions is all of those things have to do with the government's assignment of keeping citizens safe. We don't want terrorism. We don't want human trafficking. We don't want sex trafficking. We don't want child predators. We don't want gangs. We don't want crime syndicates. We don't want drug cartels in our land. And so God has given us government Government to pass laws, laws that bring decency and law and order to society. And our job, the Bible says, is to obey those laws. But family, remember, that's just one layer. That's just one layer of this biblical cake that we're putting together. So let's move on. Secondly, number two. Here's a second layer that we're assembling with biblical insight. Number two, God wants us to show compassion and grace to foreigners in our midst. Number two, God wants us to show compassion and grace to foreigners in our midst. Now, family, for those of you this morning listening who stand on the more restrictionist side of the immigration issue, probably for the last few minutes, you felt like you were ready to stand up and cheer as we read these Bible verses that talk about government authority, keeping society safe and obeying the laws of the land. But while those scriptures are important and while they are inspired and so helpful to this discussion, they aren't the only ones that must be considered as we evaluate this topic from a biblical worldview. Right now we're going to look at a second layer of biblical insight. And these are some of the most appreciated. These are some of the most valued scriptures by those people who hold to the more open view of immigration. You know, we don't often think about it, family, but the Bible actually has a lot to say about how God wanted His people to treat others who were from another country. These are people that the Bible often calls the stranger or the alien, or the foreigner. Those are the three primary words that you will see in the Bible over and over again. In fact, one Bible scholar family that I read this week highlighted 34 different Bible sections, 34 different Bible passages where the Lord told His people that they were to be careful, to be careful how they treated the stranger, the foreigner, the alien who was in their midst. Now let's just look quickly at a couple of these verses. I gave them to you in your notes. So look down in your notes. Let's just highlight a few of these important scriptures as well. We'll start with Exodus 22, beginning in verse 21. Scripture says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. My wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. How about Exodus 23, 9? You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of the sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. 
Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial, who takes no bribe, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, gives him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 27 Verse 19, Cursed be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Psalm, four, Psalm 146, 9, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow, the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. In your notes is Jeremiah 22, 3, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Zechariah 7, verse 9, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness, and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Now family, listen, I know that sounds like a lot of verses. But the truth is, we've barely scratched the surface of the number of times in the Old Testament where God told His ancient people, the Israelites, they need to be careful. They need to be careful not to abuse foreigners, not to mistreat them, not to withhold justice from them. Now, a quick caveat here. We need to be careful with all those verses I just read. We need to be careful how we take those verses and seek to apply them. Why? Because we recognize that there is a distinction between the church of today and the ancient Israelites of old. The church today is not the same as the ancient Israelites. There is not always a one-for-one -one correspondence between what God tells the ancient Israelites and what God tells the New Testament church. So we must be careful as we do interpretation and application of all those verses we just read. However, there is no denying, there is no argument with the fact that all of these verses reveal to us the heart of God. The character of God's heart. When it comes to people who are poor, who are downtrodden, people who are needy, people who are wounded, people who are broken. Listen, all over the Bible we could talk about verses that speak about God's concern for the widow, for the orphan, for the alien, for the poor. Pastor Tim Keller is the pastor of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And Tim Keller has written about these four classes. Four classes. The widow, the orphan, the alien, and the poor. And Tim Keller calls them the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet of the vulnerable. I think that's an apt description. You know, even as we get into the New Testament Christians, we see examples in the book of Acts. We see it in 1 Timothy 5, James chapter 2 of the early church having a heartbeat for the poor, a heartbeat for widows, a heartbeat for orphaned, vulnerable children. So family, all of that said now, what does that mean for the Christian in the 21st century? Well, it means that while we do believe, we do believe in law and order, 
We also believe in showing Christian compassion. Christian compassion for those who are downtrodden, those who are destitute, those who are broken, needy, and vulnerable. Listen, immigration is a huge issue, no doubt. It's big and it's complex. But we often forget, Christian friends, that underneath of the issue, underneath of the issue are real people. Real people, men, women, children, who are people made in the image of God. And many of these people do have legitimate needs. Now, we'll be honest, yes, some of them are trying to game the system. Some of them are not nice people. Some of them are really some bad people. Some of them are trying to come to our country for sinister reasons, selfish reasons. But listen, not all of them, not all of them, many of them are legitimate. They're a mother, they're a father, they have their children in tow. Maybe they're refugees out of a war-torn country. Some of them are seeking asylum because they spoke up in their home country. They spoke out against tyranny or against political abuse. And now they're on the run because they've been threatened with death. Some of these folks really are broken. Some of them are genuine. And they need genuine compassion. One of my professors in seminary, Dr. Mike Stollard, who was here, by the way, a number of years ago for a Bible conference, Dr. Stollard wrote these words, and I gave it to you in your notes. This issue of compassion, he wrote, is a transcultural concern. Now, you know what the word trans means? It means across. Like transcontinental railroad, it means across the whole continent. This is a transcultural, cross-cultural concern in the mind of God. It means this issue of compassion is always part of God's character, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New. He says, this issue of compassion is a transcultural concern in the mind of God. Therefore, this consideration must be part of the Christian's thinking process as he examines the issue. That's wise counsel. That is good, biblically balanced counsel. There's another quote in your notes from Dr. Daryl Bach from Dallas Seminary. This is a great statement to quote, when we put all of these texts, these biblical texts on the table, we see the real and legitimate tension between obeying the government and treating everyone with fairness, compassion, and humanitarian justice. How we care and show that care is a core moral value of Scripture. That's a great, great insight. Family, so far our cake, our cake has two layers. Let's add a third. Number three, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Number three, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, Christians, many of you have probably heard the name of William Booth. William Booth was a British evangelist. He's the one who founded the Salvation Army back in the mid-1800s. Well, he was married, and uh, he had a wife. She was a co-founder in that ministry with him. Her name was Catherine. Well, one particular night, Catherine Booth was out. She had traveled some distance away from London, and she was there to speak to a large crowd about Jesus. And this was a rough-looking crowd. I mean, these were some rough-looking people. I mean, they were obvious sinners 
obviously not Christians and obviously in need of Jesus. Well, following that special outreach event, Catherine was invited back to attend a little gathering at a very expensive manor. It was this English manor held by this rich family. And uh, that, during that evening, as everyone was socializing, the lady of the manor came up to Mrs. Booth and she said, My dear Mrs. Booth, that meeting was dreadful. Well, what, what do you mean, dearie? Catherine replied. Oh, when you were speaking, I was looking out of those people opposite of me. Their faces were so terrible, I don't think I shall even sleep a wink tonight. Why, dearie, she said, don't you know them? To which the hostess replied, most certainly not. Well, that is quite interesting, Mrs. Booth said. I did not bring anyone with me from London all those people are your neighbors. Family here was a very rich, upstanding woman of London, an heiress, living in a rich manner and supposedly a Christian who needed a little reminder about who her neighbors were. And friends, I would suggest to you this morning, Christian friends, that you and I are not exempt from needing an occasional reminder ourselves of who our neighbor is, especially when it comes to this issue of immigration. Family, in both the Old and the New Testaments, you and I, as Christians, we are given repeated commands to love God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You remember in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it was Jesus who said that those two twin commands put together really form a dynamic summary of God's whole law. In other words, you want to boil down everything that God has ever taught, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's the summary of God's law for us. Family, we forget sometimes that perhaps the most famous story that Jesus ever told was connected with this discussion about neighbor. Neighbor. It was in Luke chapter 10. Luke is writing here and Jesus is the main character. And Jesus gets questioned by a lawyer. This guy who was a professional lawyer. He specialized in the study of the scriptures. And this lawyer asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of God's word? And, of course, Jesus gave that answer that we just reviewed. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this lawyer decided that he needed to wiggle away. He needed to wiggle away from that command. And so he tried to let himself off the hook with a technicality. And he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You see, family, to the ancient Jews, their religious teachers had taught them that you should love neighbor. You should love neighbor so long as it is your fellow Jew. Love your fellow Jew. Love your neighbor. That's how they interpreted that. But they said it was totally acceptable to hate one's enemy. Totally acceptable to hate that dirty, rotten Gentile. Hate 
that foul prostitute who gives her body. It's okay to hate that tax collector who's a sellout to our country. And it's okay to hate that idolatrous pagan person across the border like those rotten Philistines. But family, that's when Jesus tells this parable. This issue about who's my neighbor, Jesus tells that famous story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we all remember that story, how it is the Samaritan, this half-blooded guy, this guy, the Samaritan, not the priest and not the Levite, no, it was the Samaritan who had compassion on this guy who had been robbed and beaten by thieves. So Jesus tells this parable, and not only does the parable tell us how to be a neighbor, this parable also shows us that neighbors, neighbors come in all sizes, in all shapes, in all colors. So what does that mean for you and me, Christian, as we think about this subject of immigration? Well, it means you and I need to make sure we have a right view of neighbor. Neighbor. According to the Bible, a neighbor is anyone whom God brings into your circle of influence. In other words, Jesus says, any other human being, any other human being that you see or hear or encounter or have contact with, any other human being is your neighbor. Listen, that lady in front of you at the checkout line, a giant, who says that she is from Honduras, she is your neighbor. The guy who's driving real slow in front of you in the Walmart parking lot with the Dominican flag sticker on his back window, he's your neighbor. That new guy at the plant who just started working last month, you heard he's from El Salvador. Or what about that Colombian lady whose office cubicle is just two slots down from yours? Both of them are your neighbor. Christian friend, what Jesus says to you is you are to love your neighbor. You are to love your neighbor regardless of their immigration status. Now, I know some of you are ready to explode. You're, you're ready to say, now, wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute. Are you saying, are you saying that a person's immigration status doesn't matter? No, that's not what I'm saying. Of course, of course their immigration status matters because our government says it matters. So it does matter. But their immigration status, their skin color, their ethnicity, their home country, their background, or their story for being in this country, that has zero bearing. Zero bearing on Jesus' commandment to you and me to love our neighbor. Jesus never said, love your neighbor just as long as they're in your country legally. And Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor right after they show you their certified ID card. No, Jesus didn't say that either. Jesus just said, love your neighbor. And so, family, you and I have got to remember that. We've got to find a way to keep doing that, even in the midst of this raging storm of this immigration debate. Look in your notes. is James 2, verse 8. James writes in the New Testament, If you, Christian, really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Listen to me, Christians. We do want to affirm the laws of this country. We value them. We want to obey them. But we can't ever forget, Christians, we are also the servants of King Jesus. And King Jesus has His royal law. His divine law. His royal law includes loving our neighbor. Family, I hope this cake analogy, I hope it's helping you process some of these biblical concepts as we move through this issue, trying to formulate a, a Christian worldview on immigration. We've put three layers on our cake so far. The first one, God wants us to submit to laws governing authorities. Secondly, God wants to show compassion and grace to foreigners in our midst. Third layer, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Here's the last layer. God wants us, number four, God wants us to pursue all people groups for Christ. God wants us to pursue all people groups for Christ. You know, family, one of the things that they never tell us about becoming a dad is the countless hours that are going to be spent putting together children's toys and bikes and dollhouses and other playsets that have a million and one parts. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm putting one of those little projects together, I have to have the box in front of me. I have to have the picture there. Yes, the step-by-step -step directions are helpful, but what really helps me the most is seeing a picture of the finished product. Well, believers, would you take a moment here with me to look at what Jesus has in mind for His finished product? Would you turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 7? Revelation, chapter 7. Verses 9 through 12. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. After these things, John is the writer, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and sang out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and honor and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Family, here in this text, we're reading this experience written down by the Apostle John. John has this vision of the future. It's a day in heaven when all the redeemed children of God are there together as one body. They're there as one family. They've been bought and they've been brought because of the blood of Jesus the Lamb. Now I ask you, who is there? Who is going to be there? Friends, Scripture says it is a great multitude of people. A great multitude of people from every nation. From all tribes, all peoples, and all languages 
Here we have this glorious picture of heaven. There's this unmistakable unity, and yet there is also incredible diversity. You have all of these different ethnicities there, yet they are all one family because of Jesus Christ. Oh, Christians, that's the final product that Jesus is working on. That's the final product that Jesus has in mind. Well, then it makes sense, doesn't it? When you work backwards from the final picture, it makes sense then. When you get to the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus has given His New Testament church this command that we are to go forth, we're to be taking His gospel message to all the various people groups of the world. This is great. This is great. We don't have to worry if Jesus wants us to take the gospel to this nation rather than this nation. Well, what about this nation over here, Jesus? Well, Jesus, what about this nation? No, Jesus says, go ahead. Take it to every nation. Take it to every people group. No restrictions. Now, how does all of that truth start to intersect with the church of today, and in particular, this issue of immigration. Well, listen to me. For generations, going back even in church history to the 1700s, go back to the 1800s, Christians in the Western world were truly empowered with a missionary impulse. It was in the 17 and 1800s that Christians of the Western world boosted forth as missionaries to take the gospel to all kinds of people in all the various parts of the globe. Well, listen to me. In the past 100 years, we have watched as the mission field has come to us. More and more people from all across the globe are coming here every year. People coming here to the continental U.S. It's happening all over our nation. It's even happening right here in our own city. Right here in your tiny little speck of a town, Greater Hazleton, this tiny little dot on the map. You can go around and you will meet people here from Mexico. You'll meet people here from the Dominican Republic, from Haiti. You'll meet people from Honduras. You'll meet people from Puerto Rico. You'll meet people from Europe. You'll meet people from Russia. Family, what I'm saying is that God, God has seen fit by His providence to bring so many different people groups into our nation. By His providence, He has seen fit to bring so many different people groups even into our own region, our own city. And listen, rather than weep about the former days or complain about the present days, what God wants is Christians like us to engage our missionary impulse. And we need to seize these times as just another great opportunity for the gospel message. You see, when the secular person sees it, the secular person looks at all the new faces around. The secular person sees a problem. The secular person sees a hurdle. 
The secular person sees a headache. Ah, but the Christian person sees an opportunity. An opportunity to share Christ. To share the gospel in new places with new faces. Listen, because we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been commanded. It is not an option, it is a command. We are commanded to reach out to all kinds of people with the gospel. Whether they are across the ocean or across the street. So with that said, friend, I would reach out with the good news of Jesus to any of you here today. Regardless of your family background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your story. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we want you to. We want you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That is what matters most to us, is that you know Jesus. The Bible teaches us that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to rescue sinners like us. You and I, no matter what the skin color we may have, you and I do not have the power to cleanse our own sin. We do not have the capacity to erase our guilt. We do not have the ability to be as righteous as God requires. But praise God, Jesus Christ could do all those things. And in fact, Jesus did do all those things for sinners like us. Friend, if God is speaking to your heart today about your need of salvation, I pray today will be the day you come to know Christ, that you'd humble yourself that you confess your sins, confess your brokenness to Jesus, and then by faith you reach out to Him and invite Him to be the Lord and Master of your life, to believe upon Him as your Savior. Well, family, as we draw to a close now, my desire today is that you will be able to come away from this message with a better understanding of at least how to approach this subject of immigration. How to have a better understanding because you have embraced a biblical understanding. Listen to me, without a doubt, the current population of America is raging back and forth on this topic. Like, like an ocean in a hurricane. First we see this big wave of opinion rise up and crash on the people. And then we see an opposite wave of opinion rise up and crash on the people. But family, Scripture says that you and I are not to be tossed to and fro by the constantly changing viewpoints of this secular world. Instead, you and I are called to conduct our lives by the timeless truth of God's Word. So believer, let me just challenge you today to embrace this helpful analogy. This analogy of this four-tiered cake. And let it drive home to you these four biblical principles that are straight from God's Word. Christian friends, these are four non-negotiables that God has set forth to us in His inspired Word. God wants us to submit to the laws and governing authorities. God wants us to show compassion and grace to foreigners in our midst. God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. God wants us to pursue all people groups for Christ. Now, Christian, listen to me. I think there's a pretty good chance that maybe in the next week or two, someone, somewhere, is probably going to say something to you about the immigration challenge in our nation. So before you respond, Christian, before you speak back, 
before you take up the debate or the discussion, my hope and prayer is that you will pause to eat a slice of this biblically layered cake and then speak. Speak the words that Jesus would approve. And when that person says back to you, where did you learn to think like that? You can tell them, I learned it from the Bible and I learned how to live it in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.